Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 1987 film Moonstruck, starring Cher and Nicolas Cage. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed and listen without having seen the film, just be aware that the plot might be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello, hello. When the big boys don't cry talking shit all the time, that's a podcast. (laughs) Uh, That did not come out in the right key. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it, though. I loved it. I promise you, listeners, that I can actually sing. Um, I've been in, like, bands and stuff. We've been in bands together and stuff, but, like, when I, you know, I've been a front man in my time. But yeah, sometimes when you haven't spoken for a while or you haven't had your drop of water or port or whatever it is, you start singing and it just comes out in a croak. I'm sorry. That's very insulting <laughs> to... Is it Dean Martin, that song? There's, his name was Joey Pizza, thank you very much. Joey Pizza, yeah. <laughs> Joseph John Pizza. Yes, Dean Martin. <laughs> when I um, when I typed in, I just typed in That's Amore to Google it. It says... He's got with That's Amore West Byfleet, which is where I live. There's a restaurant called That's Amore. How did I not know this? I don't. Is it know. a dodgy pizza place? It that sounds very like exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. The... It, it's definitely a dodgy pizza place. It's got a, a picture of the restaurant, and um, oh no, I know where it is. I've walked past it now. Um, and on, it's got the lyrics to That's Amore written on the wall in a horrible font. I mean, I want to go now. The next time I visit you, let's <laughs> yeah. go. Get uh, no, that tomorrow pizza. I think we should go. I think it actually looks quite nice. But yeah, the the font is not bad. You know, when the font is like trying to be a bit handwritingy, Comic Sans, but it's only kind of halfway there, and it actually looks more like papyrus. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. the one you mean. Because I I was thinking that's the perfect name for like a bad takeaway pizza shop. Yeah, the kind of place that does multiple kinds of takeaway food, none of them well. <laughs> yeah, yeah cannelloni that's like too soft on the inside and like crispy on the outside from being burned in an oven for too long you can get a doner kebab cannelloni basically (laughs) is what i'm saying that's the kind of place that it sounds like yeah but no actually it's got some quite good reviews oh amazing well let's definitely go i want i want some vatsamore food yeah we should we it's it's a date this is definitely a date excellent yeah it's even got some photos of the food that look quite quite okay there's not a doner kebab in sight <laughs> that's the important thing isn't it yeah how is um how's your week been we're recording uh, a day later than usual so it feels yeah. like it feels like it's been a long time it does feel like it's been a long time it has been fine i've been very busy i'm very tired but i have just received a new review code for a game that i'm quite interested in playing so cool that will be fascinating is it called that's amore I wish it was called That's Amore. And it's just about you swimming underwater catching eels. Eels up inside you, finding an entrance where they can. (laughs) (laughs) How's um, your week been? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Work is very busy, but had quite a good weekend. I finally started exercising again after my um, sinuses just completely knocked me out. So 
that was very very good i i even i did some running and i went to baseball training with with the new baseball team so that's good i felt it was very very nice to go and hit some things and throw some things and do what i do it's good felt good excellent excellent yeah i can recommend exercising even if you're large like me (laughs) it still feels good exercising is good so says the big boys podcast yeah for sure i give exercising five stars (laughs) as in five out of (laughs) twenty i was gonna say it's not that good i i it's still ultimately painful i exercise as much as i can due to my awful metabolism um and i have never enjoyed it and i've always hated it and i think i will continue to hate it until the day i die yeah, I, I think endorphins are a myth, finds, right? I, I think I'm one of those people that does not find the endorphin rush from exercising. Um, so, like, when I exercise, I generally will put on some very, very heavy metal. Yeah. Um, and just, like, get the catharsis out of the way that way. And I find that that is enough to offset the anger at having to do exercise. Yeah, I, I do that. Or I listen to, like, podcasts that I don't like like podcasts by right-wing people and they make me angry and then that makes me want to run, like run more. you want to go you want to go run around and uh yeah yeah are you aware of james dellingpole i i yes he is a pole yeah if you know what i mean <laughs> an absolute pole he is a he is the human pole in other words i'm saying he's a penis yeah, he is a massive penis, and he—he's one of these right-wing types who like has written for Breitbart and says stupid shit on the news and whatever. And he's very, very smug and and just really, really irritating. But he has a podcast where he interviews other smug right-wing people. And like, if you want to be infuriated, but also sort of amused by how really just up themselves and stupid all of the people on the right are, then it's a great podcast to listen to. And that's the kind of thing I I like hate listen to when I'm running sometimes. You know, you got to know. Oh, right, you got to. Okay. You got to know your enemy. I. I don't believe you have to know your enemy. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that to know your enemy, you should just push them down a well and forget about them. <laughs> well, yeah. As much as I would like to do that to James Dellingpole, <laughs> his his podcasts amuse me. Although the audio quality is shit, and the audio quality on all right wing podcasts is rubbish, because they don't. They're not the kind of people who bother with skills or like learning how to do things or doing things properly they just think things and then they say them and then suddenly we're leaving the european union and then i take it you've seen donald tusk's fantastic comments yeah. today i was going to ask riled you about up everybody um i i think it's hilarious <laughs> it's the most enjoyable i found the entire brexit experience so far yeah he's um, the the best kind of just absolute trolling because he like basically donald tusk for the um those of you who don't know or might not be up to speed is not um donald trump as a walrus although obviously that's what we all think donald tusk is the president of the european council which is one of the the governing bodies of the eu and he's been somewhat involved in the brexit process and today he tweeted that there's a special place in hell for brexiteers which is just the funniest (laughs) funniest shit i've ever heard so yeah, specifically he said that it's a special, he, he would like to see the special hell for the Brexiteers who led us down this path without having a plan in place. So it was not quite as broad as if you're a Brexiteer, you're going to hell. Um, but obviously for people who don't have any kind of reading comprehension or can't be bothered to listen to the audio of him saying it, um, they uh, 
yeah he has really angered lots and lots of people um lots of people who were quite happy with our foreign secretary comparing the eu to the nazis or our other foreign secretary comparing them to uh the the soviet union um yeah or using words like pickaninnies or offending the whole of liverpool or whatever you know um yeah they're they're um they're fine with um, all of that coming from our side talking about the European Union but the moment that one of the members of the EU says a, a, a harsh but fair thing let's be honest everybody should be that angry with people who've led us down this path without having any plan in place. Yeah and I am um, I'm livid honestly yeah. <laughs> so when I saw that I was like yeah that's exactly how I feel. There is a special yes, place yeah. in hell for these people. He, sum- he summed up the feelings of a lot of people in this country let alone in the entirety of Europe quite succinctly. Yeah. Um, but also, he also knows that people little... are going to interpret it in that way. He knows yes. that people, it's just going to be twisted in the press and turned and into he was giving, Donald he Trump was giving a little... says they should go, th- sorry, Donald Tusk, not Donald Trump. <laughs> he, was, he was giving a little chuckle with um, with Varankar afterwards, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he knew exactly <laughs> what he was doing and he just doesn't care. But this is a guy who, um, back in his youth, was part of a big anti-Soviet movement in poland i don't think he's going to be scared by a bunch of gammon no not at all i I think his tolerance threshold for the likes of the right-wing british press is at an all-time low and i think he just doesn't care and i kind of love him for it i just um i just looked up donald tusk he looks a bit like um niles from fraser he does (laughs) what's that actor's name not not kelsey grammar the other one delcy tanner yeah what's his name Nelsey, Nelsey Branner. Um, David Hyde Pierce is his name. Yeah, he looks like if you mixed him with Kenneth Branner, you'd get Donald Tusk. Yeah, yeah. It's Ke- Kenneth Branner playing David Hyde Pierce in a biopic. And he's not related to Guy Pierce, although he kind of looks a bit like him as well. Oh, Guy Pierce is an Aussie, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's an Australian. And also in The King's Speech, which, if you recall, I went to see with you in the cinema. Um, yes, we he did. Um, he says to his brother Colin Firth, he's become the king um, unexpectedly, and he's having a big party. And Colin Firth says to him, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "I'm kinging," <laughs> which is a very, very good line in an otherwise celebratory and Brexity film. Yeah, a, I I think we've discussed how we feel about this movie already, but it's fine. It's not the kind of film that i think is particularly fantastic no it's, it's just like what nah, whatever um but movies that maybe have a kind of opinion about moonstruck yeah this is i, I finished watching it this morning um on uh, on the netflix it's on the netflix which is good but yeah i um I I think I enjoyed this film quite a lot it was there's a lot to love about it and i found it very very entertaining some of it in a way where I was like, well, Nicolas Cage's performance is utterly ridiculous and sort of Tommy Wiseau-ish, pre-proto-Tommy Wiseau-ish. Um, but overall, I found it quite charming. What did you think? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I wouldn't say that I loved it, um, but I did enjoy it. I, I really like those early Nicolas Cage performances where he's kind of... It's like someone's led a rabid wolverine into a movie <laughs> studio and you're just waiting to see what he does next. And he has that kind of energy that no one else can really provide. Um, and so, like, this movie without him, I don't think would be anywhere near as involving. 
No, um, I've I've tried to think like because obviously his performance is a bit out of place. It's a bit sort of comic and over the top, perhaps more so than the supporting the rest of the, the rest of the cast. But I tried to think who else could have done it, and I can't think of anyone. Well, exactly because I think if you had someone a bit more timid or a bit more tame in this movie, um, it would just become a bit saggy. Yeah, um, it needs that live wire element to it, which Nicolas Cage provides, and and when he's at his best, he is providing that kind of eccentricity, um, because nobody does what Nicolas Cage does, and I don't mean that as a as a slight, because I know a lot of people, you know, Nicolas Cage is kind of a, a butt of jokes for a lot of people, but when Nicolas he is Cage. Used, Nicolas Cage, <laughs> when 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 he's used effectively, he's he's a great actor, and particularly in the early days. And this is a prime example of him working extremely well in a movie, uh, kind of in a way that no one would really expect it to work either. Yeah, exactly. When you first see him, he does this this kind of big speech about how he he's having a hard time because he lost his hand and his brother made him cut off his hand in the toast machine or whatever, which is just like. I don't know. I howled with laughter at his performances, and uh, but I still, yeah, was charmed by them. But in the, in that big speech, at one point, he says, "What is life?" And it just reminded me of in the room when <laughs> Tommy Wiseau says that line that nobody's quite sure whether it's "Do you understand life?" or "Do you want to stay alive?" <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand life? And it it made me think of that because I always think that it's "Do you understand life?" because it's yes. like such a kind of. Uh, openly philosophical mind blown line that it's supposed to make you go oh shit this this guy has seen some stuff he's been through it, a lot yeah it's definitely that line it's like the whole love is blind line from another <laughs> part of the movie um yeah th- that's the kind of thing that comes up in the room and and it has got that kind of outrageous emotional performance to it um in in that one scene he goes from being surly to being really really angry to threatening to kill himself with a big knife yeah go and get um, the big knife go and get the big knife um and uh yeah it's um yeah it's it's a it's a great moment i really enjoyed the bits of this film where nicholas cage was allowed to do what he wanted yeah he was allowed to go full cage yes they didn't yeah, see this thing because you, you think of him obviously as Nicolas Cage uh, so you're watching this cage thinking this, this watching this cage watching this film <laughs> <laughs> watching this film going okay Nicolas Cage is only 23 here are they are they going to let Nicolas Cage be Nicolas Cage and of course the answer is yes he's still Nicolas Cage yeah um whereas sometimes when he when he puts in a more tame performance it's nowhere near as good um so he needs that kind of power to I think he's an actor that does really well when he's allowed to to have a little bit of freedom, and um and and unleash that more emotional side of things. Um, yeah. So obviously you've got like Raising Arizona, which was I think it was the same year as Moonstruck, wasn't it? I've never seen it. Um, it's a great film. I say I don't film. think I have seen any film in which I would describe Nicolas Cage as tame, but I think I need to delve some more into the Cage back catalogue. See, I think I think you could describe The Rock. In The Rock, he's tame. And in Con Air, he's tame because he's putting on that outrageous Southern accent the entire time and trying to act as though he is a really good guy who's a bit hard done by. 
Yeah. Um, have you seen Con Air? I have, not for a very, very long time. He, but you know, you got a you got a big cast of people around him in that film as well. So you you got Cusack, you got Malkovich, you got Buscemi. It's like amongst all of those people, maybe he pales in comparison. Well, I think it's more that he's supposed to be this um, this calm center around which the other people, apart from Cusack, who's kind of. I'm not really sure what Cusack's doing in that movie. <laughs> I don't He's think kind of there. Cusack's really sure what Cusack's <laughs> doing in that movie. Being a, being a supportive voice to, to Nicolas Cage, basically. Um, and then, um, but yeah, and then you've got other movies like Face Off, where he's allowed to be a bit more bizarre. Um, where obviously Face Off, uh, have you seen Have you seen Face Off? He was yeah, in so yeah. many great action movies in the 1990s. Yeah. Like that is a great trilogy, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. Um, where Face Off, they take his face off, they take John Travolta's <laughs> face off, they swap their faces round, and they go and do Freaky Friday style stuff <laughs> with guns. And it's great. And so Nicolas Cage, half of it, he's like this more reserved person. And then the other half, he is the like totally over the top evil villain character and and that that sort of works really well um but then obviously you've got captain corelli's mandolin yes (laughs) which is well a film that is worth revisiting i mean our our episode on that i think was a very very good one but yeah where he's just like horse-faced and droopy and yeah and saggy as you say in that film uh, sorry, I'm, I'm on his Wikipedia page and there's a line that I didn't, I'm sure that we must have covered before, but I don't believe we have. And there's a section called Legal Issues. And it says, um, Kathleen Turner wrote in her 2008 memoir, Send Your Roses, that Cage had stolen a chihuahua and was arrested twice for drunk driving while they filmed Peggy Sue Got Married. Later, she admitted Cage did not steal a chihuahua and she was sorry. Well then, how dare you? <laughs> Cage successfully won a libel action against Turner, her publisher, the company that I work for, and Associated Newspapers. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, well, you I, can't I, do that I, to I did not work Cage. there at the time. No, if you'd been there at the time, you would have stopped it. Yeah, definitely. I, I'd have been like, guys, come on. Cage wouldn't steal a chihuahua. What is this? Who let this happen? Who even is Kathleen Turner? <laughs> Um, my favourite Nicolas Cage story is the one about is it a dinosaur skull that he he bought off? Oh, hold on! Oh yeah, Nick yeah, Cage no, dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hasn't he like been bankrupt a number of times because he kept buying castles? Uh, and all of this stuff just makes me love him more. That when you see him as a young man in a film like Moonstruck, you're like, he. There are so many castles in your future, my friend. Yes, yeah. And um yeah, so so the Nicolas Cage one that I love is that he bought um he bought a dinosaur skull at an auction but then found out that actually it was stolen so then returned it. And it's like he's doing a full real life national treasure. Yeah. He's he's nothing if not dedicated to his films. Yeah. I exactly. believe that when um when he was <laughs> learning how to be fully Italian American for Moonstruck he he would sing um, that's amore every single morning to get himself psyched up and in the mood. Because he is um, Italian American, isn't he, Nicholas Cage? He is one yeah. of the Coppolas. His real name is Nicholas Kim Coppola. Yeah. Although you you Cher. really wouldn't know it from his accent in this film, which is really <laughs> terrible. Well, I don't think it's that terrible. 
I think I, don't I think know, the just... two. I I don't think either of the two leads really necessarily pull it off. No, Cher just goes full on New York. Yeah, um, and I I think they're both. I think they both pull it off fine, and I think it's a great case of two really contradictory um, performances that end up being quite magnetic. Yeah, um, where neither neither of them really fits in the in the overall movie. Are you there? You you disappeared. Yes, I I think something funny happened then. Um, with a stupid thing, have you lost me again? I think basically Apple have done this update and it's just completely fucked everything up because Apple are awful. Um, if I get a because they want you to buy a new Mac. Yeah, and the funny thing is that I need to get a new PC laptop for work. Um, in which case I'm just going to stop using Apple products because as soon as I get a new PC laptop for about. 60% of the price of what I'd get for a less powerful MacBook um I will just stop using their products because I'm sick of this nonsense <laughs> so sorry Apple Do you still have an Apple phone? I do but when that dies I'll probably get an Android because it's cheaper and more customizable. I'm I'm not one of those people that demands Apple products. I that cuz they're not really I mean, it's nice to have everything that's in sync with one another, but actually they're not really that great as products. Yeah, see, I have them all. And for that reason, I just it would be quite hard for me to disentangle myself from the Apple ecosystem, maybe because I use a Mac at work as well and let the work provide that. And it's got all my Adobe software. And you, I know you can get all of it on um, on Windows, but I've also got stuff like Logic and MainStage and stuff that is Apple only. And it's like, yeah, I just it would be it would be too difficult. And I also hate the way Android looks. I'm just going to put it out there. It looks cheap. I think it looks exactly the same as Apple. I mean, the phones themselves are exactly the same. The phones <laughs> the, themselves, the, the but makeup. I mean, whenever I look, whenever I look at an Android phone and see all the icons, I'm just like, "Ugh, what is that?" It's only because you're not used to it. They they work in almost exactly the same way as Apple. Because um, I used to I used to use Android, and then I moved over a couple of years ago to Apple. Um, but yeah, it's just so expensive. And to be honest, the quality is not there anymore. Sorry, Apple, but your, no, your no, quality is pretty bad. And like everything I use is Apple. Um, so at the moment I'm, you know, I've got an iPhone, I use an iPad, um, and I use my MacBook, but yeah, I need to get a new PC laptop this year. And that's probably going to be the beginning of me moving over to cheaper and better stuff, which yeah, will probably good. be good for me in the long run. You know, I bought a new MacBook Pro last year and I am very happy with it. But at the same time, like it was it's the most expensive one that I've ever bought. And it only came with 128 gigs of storage because they want you to pay for iCloud storage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Whereas I'm going to be getting a huge amount of storage for a top of the line laptop. Well, not top of the line, but it'll probably cost me around 600, 700 quid. Um, And that'll, you know, that'll not only provide me with something that can actually play video games, can also do all of the background video and music editing stuff that my current Mac struggles with. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very, very irritating. Fuck you, Apple. Steve Jobs wouldn't stand for this. <laughs> I mean, apart from he definitely would, but still. Um, but yeah, Apple, go go fuck off. Yeah. What were Apple up to in 1987? The Mac existed, didn't it? Yeah, I think it was that's part of the era where they were getting money given to them by Microsoft to keep them afloat. I think so, yeah. Um, or maybe it was before that. It might have been in the 90s. My favourite thing about Apple, by the way, did you know that they tried to make a video game console? No. 
it was called the Apple Pippin, and they released it in the 1990s. Um, and it was a spectacular failure. And people think that's part of the reason why they haven't tried to get into the gaming market again since. How did I um, not know this? I'm, yeah, it was so a ill. huge failure. I think it was mainly aimed at being like an educational video game machine. Apple Bandai um, Pippin. It looks like the Sega Saturn. <laughs> it did worse than the Sega Saturn, yeah. if you can believe that. Um, and the yeah, Sega so people Sad think- Turn. Because people have been saying, oh, maybe Apple should get in on the video game market. You know, Microsoft have done it and Sony are in there and everybody like that. Um, but part of the reason people think they haven't is they were so badly burnt by the Pippin that they think it might be a dangerous investment. I don't remember ever even hearing anything about it. And, you know, I was interested in console gaming in 1997. I was I was all over my Segas and my Nintendos, you know. But yeah, uh, Apple can't make video game consoles. Yeah, not good. I'm looking at the Pippin now, and it seems like one of the number one games was Compton's Interactive Encyclopedia World Edition. Yeah, I mean that was riveting. Real the cool. greatest game of the nineties. Oh, and you got a Mr. Potato Head game, and then there's one that's just called Puzzles. It looks <laughs> just like puzzles. You know that that Twitter feed bootleg stuff. Yes, it looks yeah. it looks like something off of that. So it that does, you doesn't it? Buy in like a, a pound shop in Indonesia. <laughs> um anyway so moonstruck um let's talk about our fave dukakis she's great yeah she's great and like her role really progresses throughout the film and she sort of comes out of her shell in a way that i didn't expect at all i thought she was just um there to be the mum character to be a kind of foil for Cher, or just to either give her advice or um, or whatever but actually she had her own story that sort of crept up on you which I really really loved actually it was about how, sort of knowing that her husband finding out that her husband was cheating on her and then having this nice moment with the guy in a restaurant but then at the end she goes to him um, I know who I am and I'm married so it's like actually rather than um, you know her cheating on her husband even though he's cheating on her she stays true to it and that actually kind of feels nice in a way but you also feel sad for her as well that she's had to endure this and she's she she's able to get all that across using really just like a few facial expressions while she's hidden under her like a little little bonnet thingy yeah you can see why she won the uh, best supporting actress oscar for this yeah i had um, no idea about great this. it got screenplay and share got best actress yeah and it's a it's it's it is a great movie and it's full of great performances um so yeah, and and I think Olympia Dukakis is the the best of the bunch. Um, like you said, she's able. She almost is the main character in this movie. If you look at it in a different way, um, where she's surrounded by people who's you know, there's this whole framing of it's a giant moon, and rather than this meaning that the world's going to end in seven days, like in Legend of Zelda, <laughs> um, it's uh it's sort of it's bringing out the inner wolf or something like that it's like that every man gets really randy and wants to have an affair yeah it makes people crazy and makes people have bad luck or good luck maybe depending yes. on your point of view and it, and it's interesting that sort of her character is is swept up in this as well but she is the one who sort of refrains from uh the physical aspect of of infidelity um unlike everybody else in her family um which is which is interesting and i and i think yeah her character is 
there's a nuance there that otherwise but without her i don't think the film would be anywhere near as effective um not at all it would feel more like a straight up rom-com whereas the you know her character really gives it depth yeah because i wouldn't say that it's i like this movie but i don't think it is the most exciting or interesting film that we've watched um and i think that's that's fair to say i hope no. people aren't going to get their pitchforks out at me over that <laughs> Oh, the, um, the Moonstruck stands are going to come Yeah, all the Moonstruck stands. But I think, like, off the back of that, though, there's 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 moments in this movie that really work well. And a lot of that is, like, the dialogue and the character. Um, and also just those moments where it it elevates above what you might expect from a movie about someone who falls in love with her fiancé's brother. Falls in love with a one-handed baker, as it says on the, the description. <laughs> One of the one of the lesser known White Stripe songs. <laughs> Fell in love with the one hundred baker. Yep, that song is boring. I've heard it too many times. I like. I I think it's fine. Bit, White Stripes are fine. Bit like Bohemian Rhapsody. Are they? The the people's vote is still open. I meant to close it before um before we recorded, but um I put the wrong time on it and you can't change it. So as we record this. <laughs> <laughs> 22 hours left so by the time this episode goes out it will it will have closed but right now have you looked at it recently i haven't looked at it recently no prince is in the lead 59 percent prince 41 percent queen see i would say that there's a special place in hell for all of the prince lovers who led <laughs> us down this path without a plan of where to go <laughs> afterwards they the road to hell is paved with horny intentions my friend <laughs> um yeah and and uh, yeah white stripes are fine they 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 had their place and it was fine and they did garage rock uh people made too much of them and also made too little of them there was never there was very few people going down that middle ground of saying oh they're cool it was always these guys are great and he's an amazing guitarist or these guys are trash why don't they have more than two instruments it's like well that wasn't the point but also that he's not an amazing guitarist and they weren't an amazing band, but they did good garage rock. No, they're, they're okay. Did we ever work out whether they were siblings or whether they were doing it? They were um, uh, an ex-husband and wife, weren't they? That was the actual answer. Right. So they weren't they weren't siblings. They were married and then they split up and then they formed a band. Right. Oh, that's weird. But cool. But they do not appear in Moonstruck. No, it's a shame. The music in Moonstruck is pretty much every five seconds. In case you didn't know that everyone in this film is Italian. Yeah, or in case as, you as didn't... our American friends call it, Italian American. Yeah, in case you didn't 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 get that this entire movie is is full of people with Italian ancestry. Um, they want to bludgeon you over the head with it every five seconds, just in case you've forgotten. And there's like a moon theme music that keep that keeps coming back, which I think is actually quite an effective device. It's like every time there's some crazy moon shit going on, it goes to the same music, which is which is kind of funny. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of playfulness in a movie that otherwise might be a bit hokey, I suppose. And and I think overall there is this hokiness to it though that kind of takes away from a little bit of the enjoyment yeah like so so much of the dialogue especially when they're talking about love and romance is really really overblown 
and it's all like what is life life is this thing you got to live for this moment and whatever and like uh, whatever but some of the lines are really really like quotable as well and there's i can't remember i think it's i think it's olympia dukakis says it to her husband she says i just want you to know no matter what you do you're gonna die like everybody else <laughs> yes that was great and and her whole quest for someone else to agree with her over why why people cheat yeah and she's like why, why, why do, do men, men chase, chase women, women? And uh, and then at the end, old matey boy, uh, what's his name? Johnny. Is it Johnny? Yeah, Johnny. Um, it, it, Johnny it Camareri. Says, jo- Johnny Camareri. He says... Um, and his brother, Ronnie. And his brother, Ronnie. Good names there, Johnny and Ronnie. Um, and uh, and yeah, at the end, uh, uh, like not, not prompted or anything, he says, oh, it's because they fear death. And like, that's the answer she's been looking for from somebody else the entire movie. It's like, okay, yeah, that's nice. They've, they've done this full circle thing where she's, she's finally had the acknowledgement of what she's been getting at. Yeah, it's, um, it's all about which was death. Ni- which was nice, which was nice. And, and unfortunately, this movie is not entirely about death. Uh, at the end, Nicolas Cage does not turn into a werewolf and start stalking the streets of New York. Even though Cher tells him that he's a wolf. And then he's like, yes, I am a wolf. Come into my bed. And she does. Yes. <laughs> he does not turn into a wolf. Very disappointing. No. He just looks um, a little bit like one, I guess. Yeah, he's hairy. He's got a hairy face and wild hair. Yes, he's got a big old beard. Apart from he shaves it off. And that's disappointing. Yeah. Well, because wolves aren't allowed in the opera, you see. And he, lo- he loves opera. Because he's a passionate man. <laughs> one of the many flaws of the opera is that they do not allow wolves in not um, out of 20 would... i had nowhere to put my wolf i had to pay for a wolf sitter when i went to the I, opera i looked either side of me and it was just other humans no wolf guests not out of 20 that's an, until they get round to twilight the opera of course yeah then there will be wolf boys all over the shop yeah but she calls she calls him a wolf and it yeah it's 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 a little bit odd that she so she so basically she get share is get she's 37 years old um she's been married before and then her husband got hit by a bus and since then she's been single for quite a while and then johnny proposes to her and she accepts and then he goes off to sicily to be with his dead mother and he's like you have to call my brother and get him to come to the wedding and nicholas cage is the brother and it turns out there's bad blood because um Nicholas Cage is a baker and his brother Johnny distracted him while he was talking and he put his hand in a slicer and cut his hand off, which is kind of a ridiculous premise, but you could see it happening. So he's all angry and then she goes and talks to him and he's all angry and he does a lot of angry shouting and then suddenly he's like, um, he just kisses her and then she's like, okay, fine, yeah, let's make love. So that was a bit like he's very aggressive and it's like, is that really okay? Yeah, I, well, I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a forceful thing. No, it's trying to say that like he's 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 this like huge passionate man. Yeah, I don't think it's like it it it's it's awkward to watch and a negative message in the same way that, for instance, um, the early James Bond movies are. Um, and I and I think it makes it very clear that her intentions are the same with what she says, off like as it's happening. No, nobody's um, being objectified. No, no. So I don't I don't think it's got that kind of issue. No, um, it just seems very it all happens very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere and suddenly it happens. Um which is a bit strange. Um that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. 
But then you're like, okay, well, th- this is how the film's going. It's got it's got some stuff to get through. It's quite a quick timeline and lots of things happen. But because it's talking a lot about romance and passion and all of this stuff happening while the moon is doing its thing, while Mercury's in retrograde or whatever the fuck, it's like, yeah, it, it all has to happen under that moon. So, yeah, let's get on with it. Let's go crazy. Yeah, let's go have sex with my fiance's brother. Yeah. Who is a passionate man? It's, you you know how he's a passionate. <laughs> you know how you know he's a passionate man. He loves opera because he's only got one hand. No, well, yeah, that too. He he lost his other one in a crime of passion um, when he was in the opera, baking bread in the opera. That old pastime. Yeah. Well, no, that that was the problem. They didn't want him to to bake the bread in the opera, but he was like, "I'm going to do it anyway." And they were like, "There's no bread in this opera," and he's like, "Just you try and stop me." They they were telling him it's too dangerous. You can't bake bread in the opera, and he tried and he failed and he lost his hand. But what a passionate man! That's what happens to people who fail at the opera. You see, their hands just fall off. That that is what happens. The, the voices hit a certain frequency, and people's hands just start falling off. So yeah, it was a shame that that happened to him. It's pretty pretty touching. But yeah, so she she wakes up in the morning, and then she's obviously racked with guilt but he's like will you go to the opera with me and she goes yes okay and then yeah there's about probably half of the film is Cher just wandering around like saying that the moon's making her go crazy and just kind of things happening to her and her being a bit exasperated but it's still quite enjoyable to watch isn't it yeah and 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 there is that weird moment right where um she goes and gets a makeover because it's a romantic movie from the uh 80s or 90s and it's got to have the makeover scene um and so she she goes and gets her hair done and everything like that and she meets uh at the opera and i was expecting somebody to go you know because she's got rid of her gray hairs and i was expecting someone to go Oh well, you were beautiful the way you were before, but instead, <laughs> Nicholas Cage is just like, "You look great." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, okay, yeah." Um, we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll we won't uh, we won't discuss how she was beautiful before. Then we'll just go straight to the "You look great now." No, it's it's cool. He's already said he's in love with her, so it's fine. Yes. Um, then she tells him he looks great too. And he does, although I do miss the beard. I think it would be nice if he'd kept the beard. If he was still just unbelievably scraggly, but in a suit. That's what that's what I expected. So, you know, I was quite surprised. I was like, oh, Cage scrubs up all right. He shaved. I'd He's le- not shouting. <laughs> no, I'd let him take me to the opera. Have you ever been to the opera? I have not. Have you? No. Is it something you're intending to do? I might do at some point. I have seen opera uh, on television and always enjoyed it. And I've been to one of those things, you know, when like in Trafalgar Square, they sometimes do opera on the big screen there and you go and sit down and watch it there. So I've done that. So I have seen opera. I just haven't been to see an opera in an opera place. Yeah, because I've never been to see it and I've seen it on TV and it's fine, but I could be playing Mario Kart, (laughs) I think is the main thing. Yeah, I could be reading comics. It's so long and there's so many other things I could do with my time. There's so many Nicolas Cage movies I could watch. That's true. Yeah, you you could probably get through you know the the trilogy, the '90s Holy Trinity that we were talking about earlier. Oh yeah, I could. In the length of one one Tosca. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And you know, what is art? Is art a really long opera, or is it as many Nicolas Cage movies as you can watch before your eyes start bleeding? What is who is life? to say? What is life? (laughs) 
It's it's a question we should always ask ourselves. In every film, every film should have the line, "What is life in it somewhere?" And it should make make you think. Hashtag make you think. And this film does I, that. It does, and I mean, it's got good company because uh, it, it, the question is also asked in Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> um, Conan, what is life? So you know, it, all good movies. Conan, this. Yeah, I'm sure some others. What more do you want? Twenty out of twenty asks the most important question. Yeah, and it answers it by sort of bringing bringing people together around romance and the craziness of the moon, and it, it does that thing where it sort of ends with a farcical scene of lots of people showing up at a house, and then there's sort of a quick but fun resolution of them all together, and it's yeah, it's very really, really nice. So <laughs> Nicholas Cage, Johnny's back, and he's supposed to come and tell. Um, Loretta shares character. He's supposed to tell her something. We don't know what it is. He's unexpectedly back from Sicily. Um, but instead, Nicholas Cage shows up and she's like, you got to go, you got to go. And then um, <laughs> Olympia Dukakis, her mum offers him some oatmeal and she's like, no, you got to go. And he goes, thank you. I would love some oatmeal. <laughs> and that made me chuckle. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I thought the moments where he, it was like his first real meeting of her parents, I think was really sweet. Even though it clearly she did not want it to happen at all I, his reaction to them and their reaction to him i thought was quite interesting yeah he's um, being it, polite polite in a man. scene in a scene that was otherwise deus ex machina <laughs> like the 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 definition of it where it's just like oh here you go i can't be with you because of my mum or something oh well we'll get married instead it was really strange how quickly it all resolved itself um yeah. given how long the movie had spent building up the drama of share being like oh how do i how do i tell how do i tell johnny about ronnie yeah but in the end she doesn't need to because jo- johnny tells her that she he can't marry her because um his mother got well when she found out they're engaged so i assume that if that means once they get married they won't be engaged anymore and then she'll die yeah because if, if if i was johnny right if I was Johnny, he ain't gonna on, do let me any get myself in share. the mindset. I don't want to kneel down because I have a fancy suit. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. He's I'm gonna he's gonna ruin suit. a good suit. He's gonna ruin a perfectly good suit. Yeah. He cannot ruin a perfectly good. And th- suit. those kind of little caricatures of of yeah Italian Americans and stuff, I'm sure, are all very very accurate and funny. And all of that stuff did make me chuckle quite a lot. All of the kind of superfluous stuff works really well like that. Yeah, it does. It does. And I hope it's not incredibly offensive. <laughs> yeah. In the back of my mind, because there are a couple of moments where they say stuff where you're like, oh, oh, no, you shouldn't say that. Yeah, um, she does Sharon say that he reference. has bad eyes like a gypsy, which is yes, very, and that was very like, oh, bad. Jesus Christ. That's the kind of thing old people in Sussex say. Um, you, you shouldn't say that, Cher. Um, and, and, but, but then when with a, quite a lot of the sort of um, Italian-American stuff going on, I was thinking, mm, I hope that this isn't now construed as being... Um, sort of stereotypical of of that culture. I yeah. hope it's not. I don't think that every time an Italian walks in the room, the music plays going. Um, and and but yeah, I I, I did find that um that that whole reasoning was a bit strange because surely you would have thought, well, I told her that we were getting married and she suddenly got better. So if we call off the marriage, is she like going to die immediately? <laughs> Yeah, and like she's clearly old and about to die anyway, so he's just prolonging all, of, prolonging her death really. So you know, it, it's it's a lame excuse and it's their sex machina, but it works because it's fun and because you're willing her to get with Ronnie anyway because he's he's cooler than Johnny. 
He likes the opera. He runs a bakery. Uh, You'll get delicious baked goods all the time. And I'm disappointed that you never see his baked goods properly. Yeah, you only. See- I wanted to see Nick Cage bread. Yeah, you see him angrily baking, which is, you know, not something that is done on film a lot, to be fair. But yeah, you see him angrily baking and throwing stuff in the oven, and you're like, wow, I've never seen anyone bake that angrily. I want to see his grumpy bread. Yeah. But yeah, so was, uh, I, I I found that there that was one of the few moments of this movie where I kind of felt uh, it's become a bit aimless, and and the kind of way that they they just dumped the dramatic bit at the end, and there was bits in the moment where it felt a bit slow, um, and sort of the way that it kind of didn't really resolve anything. I found kind of it's not like I need a resolution to every single aspect of a movie for me to be satisfied. I mean, I spend a lot of time watching modern horror movies and the best of those barely resolve anything by the end of their runtime. Um, but it did feel a bit like, I don't know it, there was lots of the starting of discussions that then never gets finished. If you know what I mean? I don't know what you're talking about at the, at the very end in the last scene, Olympia Dukakis says to her husband, will you stop having sex with that woman? And he goes, yeah, okay. And then it's on to something else. But that's a resolution, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how it works. Um, but that's what I mean, is it, is it asks all these questions about, you know, um, about romance and about life and everything like that. And it, it, it does ask that question, what is life? <laughs> but it, it doesn't really pose an answer to the quandary. It never really tries to delve into the questions that it poses and i found that a bit frustrating but at least Cher and nicholas cage do get engaged at the end and they all have some champagne which is nice yeah i mean that's what you want out of a movie you want nicholas cage you want Cher, and i did find myself thinking like you know that they do um before sunrise before sunset etc why don't they do Moonstruck 2 with modern-day Nicolas Cage and modern-day Cher? I want to see a movie with Cher as she is now, Nicolas Cage as he is now, doing it again and catch up with them however many years later. Oh, so you th- you, you, do, you, do you think they, they get divorced and this is them finding each other again later in life? Or have they been together all this time and is it their, like, kind of, is their marriage breaking down or are they actually okay film, like the third one in the Linklater trilogy? Yeah, I want it to be a they have been happily married for all these years and all of the wolf moon nonsense is indeed nonsense. <laughs> That's what I want. I want them to just be sitting there in rocking chairs going, oh, you know what? All that wolf moon stuff was a load of old tripe, wasn't it? Yeah, no, and then, I lo- and then I love she's you. like, what? No, I only love you because of the moon. Don't you remember the moon? And he's like, no, whatever. And she's like, we have to go on some kind of big long journey and walk outside in the moonlight and talk about the moon because the moon and the love and the whatever. And it's all one long continuous shot. No, I don't want it to be a Linklater movie. <laughs> Keep your Linklater out of my share and Nicolas Cage loving. Wait, I so want who's, who's going to direct this? Michael Bay? I'm directing it. Oh, you're, my you're movie. directing it. Okay, so what, what's your style? So basically, it, it, you, Cinema you, get, Roberto. you get like a a droning, atonal, goth Do- rock version of that Samore. Dogme 69. Playing, playing, in the, playing in the background. Someone with a really deep voice. You've got like a Nick Cave type going, when the moon hits your eye. <laughs> like You've got Nick, Nick Cave and Nick Cage. Exactly. You've got the double Nick. Um that's amore and and you've got this sort of like droning synth that gets louder and louder as the, the camera pans up on uh on uh ronnie and shares 
Could I call it that? <laughs> See, um, bakery. And that's what it's called. And they, they live in this nice little apartment above it. They sold the house and, and you know, they're living on their own. They've got their independence and everything like that. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's evening time. They've already closed down the bakery. You know, he still gets up at five in the morning to start baking every day. Um, to but, angrily bake in his life. Angrily job. bake. But he's lovingly baking now. He no longer has that anger. It's all soft, fluffy rolls and and excellent for catchers and stuff like that. Um, and it's just there. It, it pans up and Cher is there and Nick Cage is there. And they, you know, Nick Cage turns to him and says, you know, that Wolf Moon stuff was a load of old tripe, wasn't it? I love you all the time. And I fancy you all the time, regardless of what the moon's like. And Cher goes, yep, I completely agree. I love you as much as the day I met you. I find you as beautiful as the day I met you and then goes back to knitting and it's then just nice. They go for a, go have a nice dinner. They get a phone call from their kids and they're like, Hi, oh, we're having a great time, mum and dad. And then at 90 minutes, it's time for them to go up to bed and they go up to bed and they have a little kiss on the cheek, turn the lights off. That's the end. And then the droning metal version of that Samori starts playing. <laughs> and then he turns into a wolf, right? And then he turns into a wolf, just like the credits start going and then you get like a record scratch and then it goes back in and you just see these two red eyes in the darkness and he, and Cher turns on the light and goes, Nick Cage, are you okay? She says Nick Cage, not Ronnie, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, and he's like, oh no, it's happening. It's the wolf moon. And then he starts transforming into a wolf in this horrible, grotesque scene and jumps out the window. And then the end with a question mark comes up. And, and then, then she's thing, like, in parentheses, saying, stay tuned for <laughs> Moonstruck 3, Curse of the Blood Moon. <laughs> Moonstruck 3. I'm glad I didn't eat my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my Moonstruck sequel. Do you like it, Paddy? It sounds great. Sounds great. I think it's, I think it's going to do really well. You know, se- sequels, sequels always do well. You know, if they've managed to get eight films out of The Fast and the Furious, then, you know, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, they've got to make Moonstruck 2. A loving, <laughs> relaxing evening with Nicolas Cage and Cher. <laughs> two moon, two struck. I want it to be the kind of movie where the first fart makes you laugh and the last fart makes you cry. <laughs> so it's, no, it's it's the first howl makes you cry and the last howl makes you want to eat a steak. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, definitely. Or would it be the first and last moon? The first of which is the the actual moon, and the last of which is Nicolas Cage's naked buttocks as he's jumping out of the window. <laughs> the the bum at that point is clean shaven, but then it slowly gets hairier <laughs> as he transforms more into a wolf man. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot you could do with this film, Moonstruck. I'm I'm surprised nobody thought to make any kind of sequel or. Yeah, to carry it on. It's clearly creating a sort of Wolf Moon Italian cinematic universe. Maybe there's a whole bunch of Italian films, like films in Italian that are like sequels and parts of the universe that we're not aware of. Speaking of cinematic universes, have we talked about the Dark Universe on this podcast yet? No, what's that? So the Dark Universe was Universal's attempt to reboot all of their old monster movies. Um, and the movie that kicked this off was uh, The Mummy starring Tom Cruise. Now, do you remember The Mummy starring Tom Cruise that came out a couple of years back? I remember seeing posters for it, yes. Yes, and you might remember the hilarious fact that they accidentally released a trailer for it without any background music, so it was just Tom Cruise shouting in silence on a plane. 
Um, hey, that, which, that, which that sounds amazing. like a film people would watch. So, so the movie, it was like a movie that was written by an algorithm in that it was a well-known franchise. You know, The Mummy is one of the iconic horror movie monsters. Um, the, one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood, Tom Cruise. Loads of budget behind it. Everyone was like, okay, well, this is going to be big. You know, at least idiots are going to go see it. Not even the idiots went to go see it. It was a spectacular failure. Now, the problem was that Universal, before the movie was announced, had already had already confirmed that it was going to be the first film in the Dark Universe, which was their, their attempt to reboot all of the monster movies into these big action films. So at the end of the movie, much like the Marvel films... Um, our boy um, Russell Crowe turned up as Dr. Jekyll and was like, you fought the mummy. You're going to come join my awesome crew and we're going to fight monsters. So there was going to be a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie with Russell Crowe. Um, and they had already convert- confirmed that Johnny Depp was going to be the invisible man. Um, lots of people were obviously not particularly happy about that. <laughs> um no. But of, but because the mummy did so badly, suddenly the whole idea of the dark universe very quietly shuffled off. But it has now been announced that Blumhouse, who are the horror movie makers extraordinaire um, behind such great smash hits as The Conjuring, they are making a movie based on the Invisible Man themselves now. Did so they do the nun? They well, yes, the nun is done because it's part of the Conjuring cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, the none of us the none of us um which itself is based on real life people which is a bit weird <laughs> so well, yeah like, you know nuns exist right well it's based on what are they called the warrens it's the warrens the the um ghost hunting yeah uh, husband and wife team senator elizabeth warren and her husband yes exactly that's what she does on the side um and uh, and yeah, so it's so it's based on it's based on these two real world people, the country movies, but then they've expanded it with other weird stuff off the side. But yeah, so Blumhouse, you make they make a load of horror movies. They made um, Sinister as well, which is a very good film. Um, they they basically are the main production house behind the resurgence of horror movies, um, and they have clearly got the rights from Universal to make a movie based on the Invisible Man, which will be interesting because if they can, then bring back these. Um, these monsters in a interesting way for a modern audience and make them actually scary that is a much better prospect than big dumb action movies about them yeah then tom cruise shouting at russell crowe also shouting and wolves yes because we've had lots of bad action movie adaptations of these classic monsters so there was there was dracula untold which was a retelling of Dracula where where uh, Dracula was a good guy and it was all a misunderstanding. <laughs> and he was... He, so it was back in the day. That, he was, that's an A-level media studies project he, if ever I heard one. He was old Vlad. Uh, old old Vlad back in the Middle Ages. Good old and Vlad. He actually, he actually wasn't that much of a wrong'un and actually there was other people that were worse than him and he he eventually was like, oh, I have to become a vampire to beat them. And they were kind of framing him as a as a as a hero, and it's like, no, mate, <laughs> Dracula, don't turn Dracula into a hero. It's one of the greatest villains in any kind of media. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of sick of that, and I'm glad that it's going to a pe- to a bunch of people who are excellent at making horror movies to try and make them scary again. Because imagine someone making like a scary movie based on the Mummy. Imagine someone because the idea of a Mummy movie. Um, you know, it's got all the makings of a great horror film. You've got ancient curses. You've got an enclosed claustrophobic space like a pyramid. 
um, you could make a genuinely terrifying modern film out of out of that kind of material. Yeah, you know, also with... Twilight set the bar very very high for sexy good vampires. No one's done. No one's yet done that for mummies. You know? Yeah, give me a sexy mummy movie. Maybe I need to write like a young adult novel about a high school student in ancient Egypt going out with a mummy. <laughs> I want. I want a hot-bodied mummy sexily dancing for his for his like college girlfriend to promiscuous girl by Nelly Furtado as he slowly unwraps the wrappings from himself unveiling the most beautiful six-pack you've ever seen in, in your life yeah but then it turns out the six-pack's made of toilet paper and it just like rolls out rolls apart and he falls no. over <laughs> but but no and, and because he's got a like, mummy you've even got the 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 tagline sorted um his love was preserved for her see <laughs> when you said promiscuous girl i thought you meant mysterious girl by peter andre no <laughs> which would also work um, Hey, Universal, if if you want someone to reboot The Mummy properly, hit me up. I've got a great idea for a romantic mummy movie for you. And if you, yeah, if you want someone to reboot The Mummy movies improperly, hit me up. <laughs> I'll provide you with a soundtrack of washed up 90s pop stars. <laughs> um, I do think Peter Andre seems like a nice man. He seems fine, doesn't he? He seems like a good enough chap. Um, so, so Moonstruck. Have you got anything else you want to share about it? Um, just that I, considering it won those three Oscars and that it is actually it's very very good. I was surprised that we. I don't think either of us were actually that aware of it before it was recommended to us and before we watched it. And um, I'm just very very surprised by that. Like it's actually better than I think a lot of the films from that era, um, but isn't really held in high regard anymore. And I just well, I'm surprised by that. Yeah, because I I only knew of it as oh that's the share um, rom com, and that that that's the kind of place that I had it in my head. I I almost had it alongside um, Splash, where she's a mermaid. Is that the one? Yeah, or is that a different? Yeah. Or is she in the one called Mermaids? And then Splash the one called Splash is, was the other film about mermaids. Is by Ron Howard. That's not her though, is it? Splash. Is she in the one that's called Mermaids, which is about mermaids? Yeah, though? she's not in Splash, which I've never seen. But Eugene Levy is, is in it. He's one of the greatest actors of all time. So I think I should see this. Uh, it's Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah. And that's in Splash. So yeah. is Cher in Mermaids? I don't know. Let's find out. She's definitely in a movie about mermaids. Daryl Hannah, who this year got married to Neil Young. No, last year. I think they've been together for a long time. Oh, so Cher is in a movie called Mermaids. I don't know if it's actually about mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> Or whether it's just called Mermaids. I think all of those movies of that era that I watched when I was about seven years old just get completely mixed up in my head into some kind of amalgam of nonsense. Um, But yeah, so she's in a movie called Mermaids as well, which came out around the same time. Um, And and yeah, like, I think... I don't know. I only only think of this as the Cher rom-com movie before I watched it. Um, without any kind of idea of how successful a film it was, and and I think you're right that it hasn't really um, it hasn't really maintained this reputation over the years. Unlike sort of um, when Harry Met Sally, or um, or You've Got Mail. Well, maybe not You've Got Mail, but the other Tom Hanks Meg Ryan one. 
uh, Sleepless, Sleepless in, Seattle, in Seattle, yeah, um, where where those movies have kind of become these the, these quintessential romantic films. Yeah. And I don't think Moonstruck has necessarily kept the same level of uh, reverence, which I think is strange because I like this movie quite a lot. I like it. I think just as much as those kind of films, and it's it's sort of it's goofier, isn't it? There's a there's as you say there's a slightly mad edge to it. Like it's as if the people filming it were sort of affected by the crazy moon la bella luna and you know it's just there's a sensibility that's just that little bit different and maybe people maybe that's why people don't hold it up because it's i don't know but so many of the lines are just as quotable so many of the performances are just as good yeah i i think it is kind of strange and speaking of the director the director of this also made one of my favorite movies rollerball which is a wonderful uh dystopian movie about this blood sport in the future where people basically on rollerblades kick the shit out of each other um and it's all about the way that this this game is framed in this kind of fascist future state uh, it's a very very clever quite sort of almost exploitation-y movie in the way that it frames violence and things like that it's a very effective film um and and uh, it's interesting to see these two very different movies coming from the same director as well yeah um, and and it's 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 two two very good films in two very different ways too, which is it's nice to see when when directors have that level of versatility. Yeah, definitely. It's it's always good to see that people have various um, strings to their bow. It's nice. Sorry, I was just looking at the page for the 60th Academy Awards, um, at which it won. The host was Chevy Chase. Oh, amazing! Who is the star of the recent film Vice, of course. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to unsee that now. Yeah, I think um, the thing that I really like about it as well is that the the characters are a little bit older th- um, than in a lot of romantic films. I think that's maybe more of a kind of late '90s through to now thing that maybe we grew up watching a lot of teen movies where it's all just focused on people who are either teens or in their early twenties and their kind of coming of age romance, where you know everybody's young and beautiful and preened and you know looks like a YouTuber. Whereas, you know, this film wasn't that. And yeah, sure, Cher and Nicolas Cage are both attractive people, but it was nice that they were showing people slightly later in life, but it wasn't implying that they were over the hill either. And I thought that was quite refreshing as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It was nice to see them framing it in a bit of a different way. Um, and it, it, and you're right, it, so many romantic movies are focused on people who are much younger that um or or are much older so you have the gimmick of it being two people who are older who are falling in love um whereas this it's nice to see that kind of middle ground um of of people who aren't old or aren't you know fresh-faced either um and it it was neat to see romance framed in a slightly different way yeah so i i I liked that overall I i thought it was it was very charming um so is that it for for movie chat do you yeah reckon? i i think so yeah do you uh you got any trivia um so i did have trivia up but i'm scared to touch my laptop in case it crashes <laughs> everything again um okay but, well i've i've got a trivia page up here so maybe i sh- i should trivia you so so i've got a couple that i memorized um so well i've got one that i memorized is that there's only 15 years difference between olympia dukakis and Cher in terms of age <laughs> um and I think there was a considerable age gap between Cher and Nicolas Cage as well. Yep, she was 41, um, he was 23. Yeah, so um, a big old age gap there. Nice to see it framed that way around rather than the other way around, um, which is what you normally see in movies. 
Yeah, that's yeah, and it doesn't feel like they're that far apart in age. Their performances, I think, do it well. You know, they never say how old Nicolas Cage is, but you know, you get the you get the idea that he's he's been through some stuff. Yeah, yeah. he's he's yeah. he's wise beyond his years. And apparently, the the um, production team weren't too impressed with Nicolas Cage at first when he was he was trying to get cast, but Cher demanded that he uh, got the role. Right, interesting. And and I think Cher was bang on to demand it because i can't imagine anybody else doing that performance no you're right i i've racked my brains and i cannot think of a single person nicholas cage has that effect doesn't he he turns every every film into a nicholas cage film yeah you he's he's irreplaceable there's no one else that you can put in those in those in a nicholas cage role who will do it like nicholas cage does no not at all well, I've got one here that says apparently the original title was The Bride and the Wolf. <laughs> I thought we already watched that movie. Gary Oldman got eaten yeah. by a wolf. <laughs> yeah, because it crossed on totally ground. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, that's very, very good. Um, screenwriter John Patrick Shanley based the stylized dialogue on real people. Which, you know, it does have that kind of feeling, that doesn't it? A lot of the lines with stuff like where you think... You get down on your knee, you ruin a good suit and stuff like that. That all seems kind of like the kind of thing you'd pick up from listening to people. It does. It feels very real. Uh, I think that's part of the success of this film. Everyone feels like a real person. It says here, okay, Nicolas Cage wanted to make punk films, not movies like Moonstruck. It's, I, there's an article about it here on the website Mental Floss. I'll put it in the show notes. Where it says, when Cage was in his early 20s, he wanted to make the kind of movies that are essentially punk gestures. I read the screenplay to Moonstruck and thought I would never pay money to see this film, but my agent insisted I do it. His follow-up film, Vampire's Kiss, was completely different from Moonstruck. For instance, Cage eats a live cockroach. (laughs) Have you ever seen Vampire's Kiss? No, I have not. We should watch Vampire's Kiss. It It is quite something. Is it romantic? Yeah. Does he, does he kiss a does he kiss a vampire? He does. It's actually the prequel to Twilight. Cool. So we we can watch it this um this Halloween then. Nicholas Nicholas Cage is um <laughs> Nicholas Cage is going around kissing vampires in high school. It's it's, it's a fully adult Nicholas Cage walking around um <laughs> kissing kissing teenage boys. That's what it is. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's great. It's great. Vampire's Kiss. It's a re- very strange movie, as you might imagine. Yeah. yeah. Also on this list, going along with the wolf theme, Cage said he desired to speak like Jean Marais in Beauty and the Beast. He, he had that accent and his voice was very gravelly, and I thought of my character in Moonstruck like a wolf who spoke with a growl. And so I was talking like that in the movie, and I got a call from the director, and he said, Nicholas, the dailies aren't working. so he tried to speak like a wolf and he wasn't allowed i'm very disappointed i really want to see that film yeah i want that footage send it to me yep if anyone has access to that footage please send it to us yes definitely um yeah that's it for the all the trivia and intrigue but yeah good and interesting film i'm really really glad that we watched it it was a nice uh a nice one so so how are we going to rate this out of 20 then Ooh, um, how many how many dogs is your old Italian grandfather walking under La Bella Luna? Oh, 
uh, well, my Italian grandfather is having a bit of a difficult time because he is walking 14 dogs. It's a lot of dogs, and they're not all small dogs. Yeah, so some of them are massive. One of them's an Ir- got, Irish wolfhound. I've got a Bernese mountain dog in there. Yeah. It's it's a it's a tough mix of dogs. But yeah, 14 all in all. But I, I, I love how he's always walking the dogs, and, and then at the end he's kind of like the voice of reason, and he gives Johnny his glass of champagne. He's, he's, he's a very good, very good granddad. Yes, um, yeah. But in my case, he's walking 16 dogs. So he's, he's acquired another two. A couple of Italian There's greyhounds. a lot of dogs. Yeah. But he's, he's managing it. You know. He's doing well because he's got the light of the moon behind him. He does. He does indeed. Yeah. Good. Very good. So what are we watching next? So next, we, we've had a lot of chat about the Oscars recently, but that is ignoring one of the other big award ceremonies. Um, so um, a movie that I really enjoyed watching at the cinema um, has been nominated for the best British movie at the BAFTAs, um, the best British production. Um, I don't want to watch is... British movies. <laughs> Shut up, Donald Tusk. It's called I, Daniel Gammon or whatever. You, you are, you are the reason that this country is failing, Paddy. Your lack of interest in great British goods is what is bankrupting this country. Great British you goods, specifically, like as the Iceland and Mrs. Brown's boys. Because of you, peas pudding sales across the UK <laughs> are declining at a rapid pace. Because of me, people have started laughing at Spotted Dick again and nobody's buying it. (laughs) Nobody's buying Spotted Dick. People are laughing at Spotted Dick and not laughing at Mrs. Brown Boys. What are you doing to the UK, buddy? (laughs) Yeah, I've turned it all on its head because I love Europe. (laughs) Um, So anyway, we will be watching a movie called Beast. It It is a movie about two young people in love, kind of. Cool. Sounds good. When was it released? I think I've heard of this. Yeah, so it was released last year, um, near the end of last year. Um, And I will not say more than that, but yes, two young people in love. Kind of. Oh, yeah, that's right. Johnny Flynn's in it. Right, cool. Oh, looks good. Looks good. I think I've heard heard good things about this, generally. Yes, well, I mean, I'm intrigued to see. It's quite a a different tone to Moonstruck. Um, it doesn't have Johnny Flynn walking on screen to yet da 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 I'm <laughs> I'm a bigger beast <laughs> <laughs> But now I wish he did. Oh you've ruined the movie for me. I'm just gonna be wishing that that scene comes up. <laughs> well you should just watch it again, but instead of um instead of just turn the sound off and just go on I'll just start doing it myself. YouTube and put on like a yeah, Italian folk music playlist. <laughs> amazing good times good times i've never um showed you my wedding dvd that my great uncle frank made have i no you haven't you haven't yeah you know you know, you know my great uncle frank he's the one who likes yes. to film all the family events on his handicam and like commentate them so obviously when you when you get the dvd back from him he's cut all the scenes in together but it's got his his like voice commentary over the top but he doesn't he he seems to be able to edit them by cutting scenes together, but that's about it. So he can't do like any actual editing, like titles or voiceovers or anything. So for the last scene of the wedding DVD, he's written like a title saying the end on a piece of paper. And he's like fixed the camera on that. And in the background, he's like put on his tape player and you can hear him press play on the tape recorder and it go- it plays that amore. Um, and like you can hear him scuffling around in the background and stuff while the song plays out. 
Which, That's amazing. Which is the best ending to a wedding DVD that anyone I re- could ask for. I really love that, Paddy. That's brilliant. Yep. I'll show it to you the next time you come around after we've been, yes, been yeah. for our dinner at That's Amore Pizzeria. Oh, man. This sounds like the perfect day. <laughs> yeah. It'll just keep me hanging on. <laughs> really hate that song, by the way. The original or the terrible multiple person one for charity the, that the, came out the, the multiple 90s. person cover is truly a crime against music whereas the original is just like a, a dreary song see i quite like the original and and the, the 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 cover version i i hate the music but i like that was it children in need that it gave all the money to i don't know it should have been it a was, heroin charity really but it was it do? was it was a charity single, so I feel like I can't hate it too much, but it is really bad. It's okay to hate a charity single, just as long as you don't hate the charity. I mean, what yeah. about Band-Aid 2? Yeah, I'm glad that Band-Aid <laughs> 2 made lots and lots of money, but that is that is not a good song. Yeah. A- anyway, we, we've talked on for long enough. Um, oh God, we have. Thank okay. you. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed Moonstruck. Um, thanks again to David Robertson for recommending it. If you have any recommendations, drop us a line um, on Twitter uh, at Big Boys Don't Pod or drop us an email, Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. We'll get to your recommendations in, in good time. Um, and we will be back next week to talk about the film Beast. Um, oh, yeah. And do leave us a rating or review um, on iTunes, especially, but anywhere else that you get your podcasts, um, we'd really, really appreciate it if you like what we do. Yes, and let us know what's your kind of favourite moon. Yeah, have you ever been struck by the moon? If so, did you report it to the police? Because if that kind of behaviour is being made by the moon, it needs to get fucking locked up. It's a crime. Can't go around hitting people. Moon. Yeah, it's definitely a crime. We've had a lot of trouble with rogue moons in this country recently, and it's not going to get better after Brexit. So you know, make sure to report them. You might say the tide is turning against moon-based violence. Uh, I, I, I see what you did there. Have we, have we reached a turning point? <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> right, okay. Bye-bye, everybody. Right. Bye-bye. We'll see you next week to talk about Beast. 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 Beast.